All right, everybody. It is Friday, November 10th. We've made it through another week. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. As always, I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. But sometimes we don't read the scripts we write, Jill. It turns out that you had written a story. I didn't see it. And we had a whole confusion as we put together today's podcast. So lo and behold, folks, you're not going to get all the stories that Jill intended for today's podcast. It's a deep tease because we'll just have to do them next week. <laughs> if you're intrigued about what's happening with the Speaker of the House, you will have to wait till next week because Jill wrote it in a different section that I didn't notice and yada, yada, yada. Here we are. But we have some we have some interesting news for you today. We have a, a variety of things happening, including um, Jill's getting in with the alpha generation and their skin trends. Mosh, if this is still a thing when Olivia gets a little bit older, you are not going to believe what goes on. She is the tail end, my understanding is, of the alpha generation. For those of you just keeping score at home, the boomers ended in the mid 60s, followed by Gen X. They end in the late 70s. Millennials come in, in the early 80s and in 96 which brings us Gen Z from 96 to 2010, Alpha Generation 2010 through today, which means we're just at the cusp, typically generations last 15-ish years. So we're going to need a new generation starting in about two years. So that puts our kids, Jill, tail end Alpha. Way to keep it academic, Mosh. We could go back further to the boomers, the silent <laughs> generation. Anyway, needless to say, that's among the stories that we'll bring you today. All right, Jill, I think we got some headlines to get to. All right, Mosh, the Actors Union has reached an agreement to end their four-month strike. But what we really want to know, when are we going to see some new shows? To the Middle East, Israel has agreed to four-hour daily pauses in fighting in Gaza to allow civilians to flee. And there are some big journalistic questions about why some freelance photographers from Gaza were getting real-time photos of Hamas's attack on October 7th. A major political story you're never going to believe who decided not to run for re-election. And no, somehow we are not talking about George Santos. Or Joe Biden or Donald Trump. <laughs> a couple of big medical breakthroughs, one having to do with a lung cancer treatment and also the first ever eye transplant. And Detroit police say that a suspect in the killing of the Jewish community leader, Samantha Wall, is now in custody. And in lighter news, Barbie who? Generation Alpha kids are obsessed with skincare, and that could fuel holiday spending. Jill, all we had as kids was the Neutrogena and the Stridex pads. Kids today, they got a lot more. And it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. All right, Hollywood finally put an end to the industry's first dual strike in 63 years after 118 days. SAG-AFTRA and the studios reached a tentative deal on a new contract that could see Hollywood up and running again within weeks. So the Actors Union releasing a statement saying that the tentative agreement represents a new paradigm. It gives SAG-AFTRA the biggest contract on contract gains in the history of the union including the largest increase in minimum wages in the last 40 years, a brand new residual for streaming programs, extensive consent and compensation protections in the use of artificial intelligence, and sizable contract increases on items across the board. 
SAG after President Fran Drescher doing a bit of a victory lap. She posted on Instagram, we did it, the billion plus dollar deal, three times the last contract, new ground was broke everywhere. And she thanked SAG after members for hanging in there and holding out for this historic deal. The agreement arrives a month after the writers ratified their own deal to end a separate contract dispute and their strike. These strikes did take a huge toll on the economy, though. One estimate disruptions cost California more than $6 billion with a B in lost output. And with little work available, prop masters, costume designers, other crew members struggle to make ends meet. As for the question Jill asked earlier, when will new shows be up and running? It typically takes four to six weeks to ramp up production. And with the writer's room only recently reopened, it's not certain how much of the TV season can be salvaged. Remember, the traditional network season began in late September, was supposed to begin in late September. So how long will it take them to get that up? We'll see. HBO had initially slated the third season of White Lotus for next year. They're pushing back that now to 2025. So where you could see a big gap here is actually in early 2024, because they had some stuff ready to go. But the stuff that would have been written over the summer that would have gone early next year, obviously didn't happen. So I don't know what January to March plans you might have. You might have to, you know, spend more time with Mo News podcast interviews and (laughs) the like as you await new seasons. Uh, Kirby Enthusiasm was already ready to go. So they have that ready to go at max in February. But, you know, there's other shows you can see postponements on. looks like Stranger Things, which was supposed to be set for next year, will be pushed back to 2025. Uh, And then you already had a whole bunch of postponements when it comes to movies. A couple of the avatars got pushed back. Uh, Marvel has reshuffled. It's Captain America, uh, Brave New World boot, as well as Blade. And so a bunch of movies pushed back. So essentially, again, you should be okay for now. We'll see what the network season, if you guys still watch network shows, will happen with that. We'll have more information on that in the coming weeks. But you will have a gap in January, February. So uh, might be the time to do what Jill does, which is watch old episodes of <laughs> Sopranos or Friends. or Jill, what are you on these days? Sex, Sex in the City. City. I will say of all of the, I guess, somewhat controversial things I mentioned on this podcast, Elf appeared yeah. to be the most. I, I got so many messages that this was a movie that I absolutely had to see. Jill, people get very upset when they find out about all the really iconic films and TV shows you have not seen in your youth, and they want you to join the zeitgeist, belate, albeit belatedly. <laughs> I don't think Elf is in the zeitgeist right now. It is in the zeitgeist. Michael, make sure she watches Elf this weekend. Okay, I don't want my husband to lose credibility, but he actually said it's not one of the movies he's upset that I haven't seen. He does not think I'll like it. All right, dissenting view. <laughs> Now to the Middle East, the White House said Thursday that Israel had agreed to daily four-hour pauses of military operations in areas of northern Gaza. So this would allow for humanitarian aid to flow into the Gaza Strip and to allow civilians to flee from the fighting. It's actually been kind of happening already for the past several days. Israel has paused the fighting for some extended windows to let civilians evacuate south. But President Biden said that he had pressured Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to agree to significantly longer pauses in the violence. Biden said that it has taken Netanyahu, quote, a little longer than he had hoped to meet Biden's request to briefly pause that fighting. As Axios's Barack Ravid points out, the criticism unusual for Biden, who has publicly given Netanyahu his full backing since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, 
Netanyahu insisting that there will be no ceasefire without Hamas releasing the hostages. U.S. officials also say that the four-hour pauses would provide, quote, brief windows of opportunity for the safe passage of hostages being held by Hamas. U.S. officials say that the pauses will be announced with three hours of notice. But Moshe, they keep saying that about the hostages. And there's been all these varied reports about the imminent release of a mass number of hostages. And yet nothing. And I I feel like it is a forgotten part of this story here that Hamas and Islamic Jihad are holding 240 hostages, some babies um, and Holocaust survivor. Yeah, they range from nine months old to in their 80s. And we do hear it a lot from the Modus community. What's about the hostages? What about the hostages? Why haven't they let the hostages go? Why is a nine month old being held by a terror group for more than a month? And why don't we hear more about it? It's been a huge issue, and these negotiations are very complex because they include the Qataris, they include the Egyptians, they include the Americans. The head of the Mossad, uh, the Israeli spy agency, as well as the head of the CIA have been in Doha, Qatar, uh, trying to come up with a negotiation, a deal, uh, basically. You know, Israel saying we might do a let up on the war if you release all the hostages. And then literally down to numbers, you know, they want to set a precedent. So Hamas is like, we'll release a dozen hostages if you take a break for three days, trying to come up with some sort of calculation. And then there's the independent negotiations, because keep in mind that behind Israelis, the second largest group of hostages, Jill, are Thai workers. There's a huge population of people from Thailand who work uh, in the Israeli agricultural community and a whole group of them were taken alongside. So you have Thailand talking to Iran, which talks to Hamas. Uh, to try to do a separate deal there. So these things are incredibly complex, and they come amid a war there. Like you said, multiple groups hold hostages. Hamas currently holds about 180 hostages, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Their sort of little brother terror group in uh, Gaza holds another 40 hostages. And then there's some unaffiliated mob families, like mafia families, inside Gaza that are believed to hold another 20 hostages. This is why Hamas claims they don't even know where all the hostages are and who's holding all of them because during that october 7th attack literally groups of palestinians were coming across and grabbing hostages as this free-for-all was happening and then you have all the claims hamas saying we've made a bunch of offers and israel's refused and then israel says no you haven't we haven't refused a deal and so that back and forth continues here and that all comes as this week palestinian islamic jihad Uh, who holds a group of hostages, released a video of a 12-year-old and a 77-year-old Israeli, 12-year-old boy, a 77-year-old woman. The family is asking that that they are not named and the videos not be shown. But they said those two will be released when certain conditions are met from that group. Again, not clear what that means because Islamic Jihad might have different demands than Hamas in this case. So incredibly complex. And it comes as the Israelis also have their larger ambition, which is to take out Hamas. They're making progress there into Gaza City. They claimed early Thursday that they were able to take out what they call Outpost 17. This is a huge Hamas underground, above ground stronghold in Jabalia. Jabalia, which also has that refugee camp that's been around for 75 years and is really just buildings at this time, uh, but incredibly complex. Apparently, they found significant Hamas battle plans there, weapons, tunnel shafts, uh, and they posted video online that some of the missile launch locations next to a kindergarten in Jabalia. Again, one of the reasons this war is so complex. Yeah, and as we keep an eye on whether this war between Israel and Hamas will spread, the U.S. carried out a strike in Syria on Wednesday, hitting a weapons depot used by Iran's Revolutionary Guard. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin saying that the operation was carried out by a pair of F-15 fighter jets. 
The Pentagon says since that strike Wednesday evening, there have been four new attacks against U.S. troop positions and that there have been a total of 46 attacks against American troops in Iraq and Syria since last month, plus a missile attack against an American destroyer in the Red Sea late last month and an American drone that was shot down by Houthi terrorists armed by Iran near Yemen on Wednesday. Those attacks against American positions where troops are in Iraq and Syria have resulted in a total of 56 troop injuries. And most that includes traumatic brain injury. Yeah. And, you know, some people here domestically saying that, you know, clearly the U.S. needs to, you know, be stronger against Iran to deter them from further attacks. Jill, you laid out there how, you know, there continue to be things across the region. Again, we wouldn't call it regional war, but certainly regional conflict and regional incidents um, as these Iran groups across the region in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen, continue to attack U.S. and Israeli military locations, notably down in Yemen. We're still waiting for more details on this. That Houthi group, which has been launching missiles um, at Israel, shot down an American Reaper drone. By the way, one of those drones, it's very large. It's a $30 million drone. Apparently, uh, the Houthis were able to get that. And so we're waiting to see what exactly transpired down there. But the Iranians certainly dabbling with escalating this. And that comes as the U.S. has sent two aircraft carrier groups and continues to strike back, but again, very reluctantly here. All right, one other story we've been watching that's got a lot of attention on the Instagram feed. The media watchdog group Honest Reporting, uh, which tends to be on the Israeli side, published an investigative report late on Wednesday showing that several freelance journalists from leading news outlets, including the New York Times, AP, Reuters, and CNN, joined Hamas terrorists from the Gaza Strip during that October 7th terror attack documenting their horrific events with their cameras in real time. This report found that three of the freelance journalists actually accompanied the Hamas terrorists across the border and reported from the massacre, some of them posting photos and video on their social media account that they then subsequently took down. Among the images and videos, an Israeli tank on fire, as well as several abductions by Hamas of Israeli civilians, including that German-Israeli woman, Shani Luke, who was later found dead in Gaza, or I should say they found part of her skull in Gaza. They still haven't found her. Getting a lot of attention, one of those photographers, Hassan Islaya, who happens to do freelance work for AP and CNN, there's a photo of him circulating online being kissed on the head by the head of Hamas in Gaza, the mastermind of the October 7th attack, Yahya Sinwar. There's also an image of him riding on the back of one of the Hamas motorcycles as one of the terrorists held a grenade. So, There's a lot of outrage here and a lot of questions as to what the media outlets knew. Something to keep in mind here, these were freelancers. Uh, In many cases, the way freelance works is an agency might hear from somebody who's like, hey, I got some images for you. Do you want to buy them? And in many cases, they say, sure, they cover news events. We should get those photos. Um, As opposed to, in some cases, you might call as a freelancer in advance saying, hey, I have this story I'm headed to. Do you want photos? It's unclear the details here. AP, Reuters, CNN, New York Times have all effectively distanced themselves from these individuals. Several of the outlets saying they no longer work with Hassan Islaya, the one with the photos with the head of Hamas. Reuters saying it acquired the photos afterwards. It didn't have prior relationship with these guys. All the news outlets denying they had knowledge of the attacks beforehand. New York Times sort of defending their guy saying, you know, we don't know about his deal, but he's done good journalistic work for us and he will continue to work for us. Though the Israelis taking this very seriously, the former defense minister writing on X, journalists found to have known about the massacre and still chosen to stand idle 
as bystanders, children were slaughtered, are no different than terrorists and will be treated as such. The understanding from the Israelis right now is they view these photographers who appear to have traveled along with Hamas as they conducted the attack on October 7th, they will be treating them as combatants. Mosh, the allegations, if true, are certainly quite troubling. Uh, you did mention, of course, that many of these photos have been deleted, which is a, usually a sign that they know something is not quite I'm right. <laughs> yeah. So I've worked um, on the foreign news desk for NBC. We hire stringers all the time to get video, especially, or just have get information in places where you don't have a staff reporter or photographer. You've done this a lot more recently than I have. So what are your initial thoughts on this? Of course, we should note that investigations are still ongoing here. Yeah, and it, there's a lot of terms thrown around. So, you know, as a CBS, we hired lots of freelancers, or they're also called stringers or fixers, or, you know, there's a whole bunch of terminology in TV and reporting land for these people. Typically, most of the globe, you don't have resources, right? You don't have journalists, at least staff journalists. So you have to hire locals. In some cases, you could have a long time relationship with them. You trust their reporting, you trust their work. In some cases, literally someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I have video of this. You're like, that's pretty good. Thank you. I'll purchase that. How much will it cost? You try to vet that out. You try to get a sense of uh, whether the information they're bringing you is reliable. You don't ask too many questions about how they got there, why they got there, et cetera, especially in a breaking news type situation. Now, in this case, you know, you can imagine these outlets were, you know, on Saturday, October 7th, looking for images of this invasion, uh, Hamas invasion of Israel. And when they hear from these freelancers saying, hey, I have photos of it, they said, sure, we need little images of what is happening there because we don't have people on the ground or staff people on the ground there or near where these incidents are happening. Now, clearly, there have been subsequent conversations here in the lead up to this investigative report about these individuals because, as we mentioned, some of these guys deleted their social media posts uh, with questionable material. And in some cases, the AP took the names off of the byline off of these photos of who took the photos. Um, so we don't know about the details there. We don't know about what these guys knew in advance. We don't know about their relationship with Hamas. We don't know about what else they witnessed. We don't know what photos or video they have that decided not to give to Reuters and AP and what sort of crimes they witnessed. But there are huge ethical questions here for both those individuals, those journalists, but also the organizations. And do they need to approach this differently in the future? Now, it appears you know, for these organizations, that they are separate from them, right? They're like, we didn't know in advance that these attacks were happening. They didn't give us a sense. They came to us afterwards with, here's some photos and video. We acquired it. But there are some people saying, you paid for images of people literally being murdered, right? Now, at the same time, war is a challenging environment for these organizations to cover. And I'm, I, I know I'm, I'm going off here, but there's still a lot of questions that uh, remain to be answered here. And it appears these organizations feel they acted appropriately here. There are more questions, I think, for these photographers and what they were told about what was going to happen. You know, one comparison being thrown out there is like, if Bin Laden called you on September 10th, was like, hey, position yourself in lower Manhattan. There's going to be some good photos that you can capture. What is your blame? What is your ethical conundrum? Should you have alerted authorities to what was about to happen? All that uh, thrown in there. And also it calls into question the other work they're doing and whether that comes with an agenda or a bias. Are they framing certain things out? So 
you know, we could have a whole separate series of podcasts, Jill, on media bias and questions. But uh, those are among the things I'm thinking about as as I watch the story unfold. I thought the same thing in terms of of just coverage in general, because they're these are the very same people who all of these media outlets are relying on for information about attacks in Gaza. They're on the ground there. They are the ones giving information to mainstream media outlets. And so it's hard to really figure out what's happening. And and Joe Biden got a lot of flack when he was saying that it's not clear what the death toll is in Gaza. And I don't want to downplay it at all, because clearly thousands of people have been killed and including children. And it could be higher, according to some officials, than the, the number that's out there. But I think what you're getting at is like, if these photographers, this guy's getting kissed by the head of Hamas, but he's also taking photos of some other event. If he's buddy buddy with Hamas, what incentive? does he have to potentially report the full story or photograph the full story? Are certain things being left out of the frame, so to speak? And, you know, I think that that's one of the questions that, you know, is a legitimate question to be asked. All right, we have a lot more news to get to. Uh, but first, a word from a couple of our sponsors. First, Bull and Branch Sheets. The holidays are here, believe it or not. Everyone's in gifting mode. But most people are forgetting one very special thing. Treating yourself this season. Now, you could give Bull and Branch Sheets as a gift to somebody else. Or you can give it to yourself. Giving yourself a better night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets, care of Bull and Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch. We first got them a year ago. Uh, They're big in our household. Uh, Jill, I know in yours as well. We love our Bull and Branch sheets. They are made differently. Rare, 100% organic cotton, free of toxins, synthetic pesticides, harsh chemicals. They're good for everyone, especially if you have sensitive skin. And best of all, right now. They are also providing a signature gift box. If you order their signature sheets, they come wrapped in a beautiful holiday gift box. It'll make the holiday season even more special. Hell, you give yourself that gift, give yourself a gift box, it'll feel all the more special. So what's the deal here? Well, 25% off right now, your first order of Bull and Branch is the best offer of the entire year. You can head over to bullandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONews. What else? bullandbranch.com, promo code MONEWS. Exclusions do apply, so see the site for details. All right, and if you are a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that we've been drinking AG1 for months now. Every morning, Jill. Yeah, when I started to drink AG1 every day, I definitely felt a difference in my energy, and especially with two youngins running around, I could use all of the help that I can get. And that is because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement. It supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. We recommend AG1 to family and friends. There are a team of doctors and scientists that have tested it For 950 contaminants, it is NSF certified for sport and formulated based on the latest science. Moshe, I have one friend who says it's like his insurance policy for the day. He knows that if he drinks AG1 in the morning, he's good to go. No matter what else he eats or drinks, at least he knows that he got all the nutrients that he really needs in his day. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it does start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D. And five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag1.com slash monews. Check it out. 
All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with a huge political story here in the U.S. from the New York Times. Senator Joe Manchin, the conservative West Virginia Democrat, announced on Thursday that he would not seek reelection, dealing a blow to Democrats' chances of holding the Senate. Instead, Manchin, who was likely to face a strong Republican challenger to keep his Senate seat in a deeply red state, said that he would continue exploring whether there was an appetite in the country for a centrist third-party bid for the presidency. That prospect has alarmed many Democrats who fears that such a run could doom President Biden's chances of holding the White House. Manchin is 76 years old. He said in a video, I have made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. Intriguing. <laughs> the decision was an immediate setback for Democrats' hopes of holding a majority in the Senate, where they currently control 51 votes. So you've got 48 Democrats and three independents. Yeah, it's a 51-49 majority. Basically, it goes back to 50-50 because... West Virginia has gone Republican here. Joe Manchin was seen as the only Democrat capable of holding that seat, uh, though a recent poll showed Governor Jim Justice, the Republican there, as the front runner in the race. And it appears that Manchin just wasn't into it. At 76, he's just like, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to survive this fight. And frankly, I don't know that I want to be in the Senate anymore. You know, many of my colleagues don't like me. I'm trying to be the centrist. And, uh, you know, I think I might be president. We'll get to that in a second. You know, behind closed doors, we're told Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, has been encouraging Manchin to run, saying, we really need you to do this. Keep in mind with Manchin out now. Democrats have to hold Ohio, have to hold Montana. That's where two very vulnerable Democrats are up next year. Keep in mind, you know, since Senate terms are six years, every two years, about a third of the Senate is up. And 2024 is a year where a lot of vulnerable Democrats are up. And it's going to be very challenging for them to try to keep the Senate next year. As far as what's next for Manchin as he travels the country here? Well, He's involved in the centrist group No Labels. We've talked about them before on this podcast. They are considering running a presidential candidate against Trump and Biden saying, nobody likes these two. Let's run someone in the middle. But given the positions of most of the No Labels people, the fear among Democrats is they would take more votes away from Biden than Trump and guarantee Trump the White House. So Manchin is mentioned as one of the people who would run on the No Labels ticket. Nothing confirmed here. But it doesn't seem like, based on his message, Jill, that he's planning to retire, despite being 76 years old. Very different from the retirement message we got from Mitt Romney a couple of weeks ago, who said he's not running again. He out. Manchin's like, I'm going to travel the country, engage the Joe Mentum. If the country isn't a Joe Biden, maybe they're into Joe Manchin. We'll see. No comment right now from the Manchin spokespeople. But we're going to watch No Labels, see who they run. Uh, you also have RFK out there. As we've been saying on the pod in the newsletter, could be an interesting year next year if you have a couple third-party candidates. The split between Biden, Trump, let's say RFK Jr. and a Joe Manchin or another labels candidate could make for a very unpredictable outcome next November. Now to some medical news from the Wall Street Journal. A team of New York surgeons has performed the world's first whole eye transplant on a human, a breakthrough that could change vision treatments even though the patient has not regained sight yet in the grafted eye. That patient is Aaron James of Arkansas. He had survived a 7,000-volt electric shot while working as a lineman in June of 2021. Yikes. 
He had extensive injuries when his face touched a live wire. His grafted eye was received from an organ donor. And in the six months since the eye surgery, in conjunction with a partial face transplant, the 46-year-old patient has shown promising signs of health in the eye. According to the surgical team at NYU Langone Health, the grafted eye is maintaining normal ocular pressure and has direct blood flow to the retina. That is the area at the back of the eye that receives light and sends images to the brain. It is not known if the patient will regain his sight, but the transplant is still a significant accomplishment. NYU Langone, that's where my doctors are located. Though thankfully, I have not received a 7,000 volt electric shock. Uh, I'm remarkable that he survived, that he got um, this transplant and that they do see it making gradual progress here. Doctors say we've made one step forward and have paved the way for the next chapter to restore vision. The surgery happened back in May. It lasted 21 hours, included 140 surgeons, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. And the results appear to indicate this communication between the brain and the eye, but further study is needed. Surgeons have been able to transplant corneas, the clear front layer of the eye, successfully for years, Whole eye transplants to restore vision have remained elusive until now. Uh, there's a lot of issues related to nerve regeneration, immune rejection, retinal blood flow, but still a remarkable thing. They've made this much progress, especially if he's able to see out of it at some point. Another health story, this from Fox News, a lung cancer pill is showing what one doctor describes as earth shattering results in a five year study. Dr. Bora with a New Jersey hospital sharing his experiences with Tegriso in the era of personalized medicine. Tegriso is available to patients with stage 1B to 3A lung cancer who have a certain genetic mutation and have had surgery to remove cancerous tumors. Among those patients, Tegriso was shown to reduce the five-year risk of recurrent cancer by up to 73% and the risk of death by up to 51%, according to research that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine over the summer. So the doctor over at Hackensack Meridian Health in New Jersey says in the world of oncology, this is earth shattering. In the past, medical oncologists were happy with a 5% to 10% uh, rate, but now we're talking about in excess of 50% improvement in survival. The doctors there saying they've seen groundbreaking results among the lung cancer patients they have prescribed this drug to. Dr. Fayez Bora, who you mentioned, telling Fox News Digital, we're truly in the era of personalized medicine. We now have a lot of targeted therapies that work well for patients who have mutations in their tumor. So what we're seeing here, and we've told you a couple other stories about cancer, is there are various treatments depending on uh, your genes and the type of cancer you have, and they're really able to start to customize treatment for you. So in some cases, some of these medications uh, are very effective. From NBC News, a suspect in the killing of prominent Detroit Jewish leader Samantha Wall was taken into custody in western Michigan on Wednesday. The suspect's name has not been disclosed. This person was picked up in Kalamazoo, which is about 140 miles west of Detroit. Not clear the person's connection to Kalamazoo either. Detroit police saying the investigation is still continuing and there's much more work to be done. Wall, who is 40 years old, was found fatally stabbed on October 21st outside of her home in Detroit's Lafayette Park neighborhood. And it triggered immediate concerns that the killing could be tied to recent tensions surrounding the Israel-Hamas war. Authorities across the U.S. have voiced their concerns that Middle East violence could lead to attacks on Jewish, Muslim and Arab Americans. 
Though so far, the police have said that early evidence points against anti-Semitism, Jew hate, uh, as a motive in this murder. But they haven't disclosed much, Jill, leading to a lot of mystery. I've been talking to people in Michigan who I know who are just very curious as to why everything has been so hush-hush in this investigation, given uh, how much media attention it's gotten. But clearly here, there's an arrest. They call it an encouraging development. The police do trying to bring closure to the family to this case. What we do know, Wool had attended a wedding the night of October 20th, left those festivities just after midnight, was then stabbed inside her home, no sign of forced entry, and then she stumbled outside where she collapsed and died. So the investigation here uh, continuing, but it appears there has been an arrest and we'll wait more details on what exactly was the motive here. All right, Mosh, and the story we've all been waiting for from CNBC. There is something unexpected on the top of kids' holiday lists this year. Skincare. Kids these days. <laughs> Seriously. In an age where TikTok and YouTube have replaced linear TV for America's youngest consumers, kids are adopting skincare routines like never before as they absorb content online from so-called Skin influencers, many kids from Generation Alpha, those are children born in 2010 and later, have become budding experts in serums, toners, moisturizers, and sunscreens in their quest to mimic the cool teenagers that they're watching on social media. Some know more about the ingredients in those products than their parents do. As the new generation of skincare enthusiasts flood the beauty aisle, some new brands catering exclusively to Gen Alpha are propping up. Retailers are cashing in on what parents say has become an obsession during the crucial holiday shopping season this year. Gen Alpha's fascination with skincare is expected to fuel a boon in sales. Ulta Beauty saying that skincare, one of the categories that's at the top of their lists this season. Walmart is expanding the price points in its beauty department. And then Bubble and Elf Beauty or ELF Beauty, two brands that have used TikTok to win over young consumers. Also say they expect sizable sales this holiday from parents looking for gifts for their Gen Alpha kids. By the way, millennials and Gen Z consumers are also leaning deeper into the category, a trend that many say started during the COVID pandemic when people just stopped wearing makeup as often and instead focused more on self-care. Jill, I remember already being a teen suffering from acne in the 90s and the, those proactive uh, infomercials. Do you remember those yes, with the, the yes, two women yes. in lab coats who are like, by the way, that never worked for me. I think I think I ended up having to go on Accutane or whatever. But it is fascinating to see the impact of TikTok and social media on this next generation, especially before they even go through puberty, before they deal with like, you know, all the various skin challenges that many teens deal with. The numbers here pretty amazing. As of September, spending right now in the skincare category 14% above where it was a year ago. Skincare sales grew from $7.8 billion to now $9.2 billion over the last three years and continues to go up. And it's hard to get a sense of Gen Alpha just because they're so young. And in many cases, the parents are still spending the money here. But according to Piper Sandler, which does analysis uh, for the business community, its most recent teen spending survey, the average age of the respondents was 15.7, about 15 and a half years old. Skincare spending climbed 
20% to about $122 a year that they're spending. That might even be on the low end for some kids these days. And so that's what we know as far as numbers. As far as safety, using these grown-up products, serums, etc., on growing faces, one dermatologist is quoted in this story as saying, I love a routine. I think routines in general are a great idea, especially if the routine includes sunscreen. But on the flip side, preteens using products that are often too harsh for their skin because they're adult products is not a good idea. Apparently, dermatologists are seeing a lot of Gen Alpha patients. Again, we're talking about kids in elementary school and early middle school coming in with rashes, irritation, dryness, flakiness, even swelling on their face because they're using skincare products that they saw on TikTok, but were not appropriate for their skin. CNBC quoting another dermatologist who said that they had a kid recently who came in from a sleepover. They were peer pressured into trying a new product. <laughs> like what, what happened in the 90s? It's like, try this drug with me. Now they're at sleepovers being like, you better try this skincare product. Apparently this poor kid had a sensitive skin, like had issues, had to go to the dermatologist. Like DARE, remember the DARE program? Like you know, someone's going to try to get you to use marijuana. Now it's like, try this skincare product. <laughs> you better use this mask. <laughs> you better, you better put this, but I have sensitive skin. You try this mask. <laughs> Kylie Jenner said it's good for you. Oh, um. <laughs> Kids, just say no. Nancy Reagan once said it. Just say no. If someone is trying to force skincare on you and you don't think it's right for your skin, you say no. I can't even tell you, though, how many <laughs> Everyone's using it. Everyone's using it. What are you, some kind of loser? You can't use this? <laughs> By the way, I'm hearing from moms whose, yeah. like, 10 and 11-year-old daughters are looking at their their skincare, like, yeah. opening up their jaws, and are like, you use that brand? And they're dying to get, you know, whatever the latest in Sephora is or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it is a thing, Moshe. <laughs> Neutrogena Clarisol. That's what I have. In the, I, I just, I can't get over the peer pressure to use a serum or a toner. Kids, just say no. And it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for We are watching, reading, and eating. This week again, we're sponsored by Home Ec. Jill, you and I uh, and some members of the team took one of their chef-led virtual cooking classes a few weeks ago. Uh, we made steak au pauvre. We made mac and cheese. We had a custom chef, Chef Garrison, coached us uh, through the entire process. Some of us came with ingredients. Some of us <clears throat> named Jill had no <laughs> ingredients and had Garrison virtually going through your cabinets being like, okay, you can use this as a replacement. <laughs> he I will say all of his replacements worked out because yeah, what I made was pretty delicious. Yes. It was, thank you, Chef Garrison. Home Act offers these as team building events for your colleagues or families. They also have larger classes as well where they cook alongside dozens or hundreds of you as you take the course. They work with companies. They work with holiday parties. You could do it with family. As I said, they also, in some cases, deliver the ingredients to you. So uh, we've been loving working with Home Act. And, you know, really expanding our uh, abilities in the kitchen. And right now they're offering a 15% off code with the code, what else? MoNews. 15% off. Head over to HomeEc, H-O-M-E-E-C, HomeEc.co. For details, we have a link in the show notes for more. Okay, Mosh, what are you watching this weekend? Jill, we've talked about how some streaming platforms deliver all the shows and some deliver them week by week. 
I'm a binger. So I've been waiting for all the episodes of Morning Show to come out. They're officially now all out on Apple, season three of Morning Show. And so I can now binge it. What do you got? All right, Moshe, you know I have a love of all things Bravo. Yes. Well, it was BravoCon this week. It's a three-day event. It has been described as a time when Bravo-holics come together to celebrate their fandom while also sipping the hottest Bravo tea. Well, uh, a lot of those big moments were going to be available on Peacock. They're they're probably already available. I just had a busy week and haven't watched. So I'm going to catch up on all things BravoCon. From BravoCon to highbrow literature. Moshe, what are you reading this weekend? Thanks for asking, Jill. <laughs> so <laughs> my latest book, and it'll be uh, coming up on an uh, upcoming premium podcast episode, Sisterhood, The Secret History of the Women of the CIA. It's by Liza Mundy who, by the way, random fact, she's married to Bill Nye, the science guy, because of her last book, which we go into um, in the podcast is very exciting. But her book dives into the history of the CIA, the women who helped build it, the challenges women had, and also how close to reality Carrie Matheson from Homeland, also Carrie Russell's character from The Americans, and Zero Dark Thirty, Jessica Chastain's character, are to reality. You'll be surprised by the book and also our conversation. Wait, tell us, tell us. Is it close? Jill, I'm not <laughs> giving away. I'm not giving away a very special episode of our podcast coming out soon. Jill, what are you reading? All right, I'm reading a guest essay in the New York Times. It is not kids with the cell phone problem; it's parents. I feel like we've discussed this story, versions of it, many <clears throat> times on this pod. But let me know what they have to say over there at the at the New York Times. Let's close out here, Jill. What are you reading this weekend? All right. I believe in full honesty on this podcast, Moshe. So I'm mm -hmm. just going to tell you. Yeah. I'm eating cookie dough. Like that is where it's come to in my life that I'm That's just okay. eating raw cookie dough from a tub. <laughs> Anytime I feel a little bit down, which is quite often these days. Oh, so no. That's how, oh, no, that's Jill. how it's going here in the Wagner household. All right. Well, Hopefully that brings you back to, you know, where you need to be, Jill. Let's, it sets let's, me, it's, it gets me at even. In cookie dough terms, let's hope that next week involves less cookie dough than this week. Um, Mosh, what are you eating? Split pea soup, Jill. I was never really into it as a kid. My mom noticed me eating it a couple of weeks ago when she came to visit and meet the baby. And she goes, you eat split pea soup? And I'm like, yeah, I love it. She's like, not as a kid, you didn't. So I'm just really into it lately. We've had various iterations of it. Um, Alex made a really good one recently. And so... Even though it's been unseasonably warm so far, it is starting to get chillier and it's it feels like a uh, soup time. All right. Soups on. It is definitely a soup season, which I happen to love. I actually do soups year round. Cookie dough and soups. It's a dinner of champions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And thanks to all of you who are joining Mo News Premium. Jill, someone chimed in. They're like, listen, I've listened to the podcast for a while. I didn't join Premium, but then you said on the pod this week that Premium is only $7 a month. Thank you for telling me how much it costs because then I realized I should join it. And so here you are, folks. We're offering right now Mo News Premium for $7 a month, the price of a, a latte in New York, and annually $70 a year, which is two free months. And for that, you know you get the following. 
you support Jill Wagner's cookie dough habit. <laughs> you uh, support independent journalism, more importantly. You support what we're doing here at Mo News, the daily podcast, the daily newsletter, the 24-7 Instagram feed. And with premium membership, you get access to an extra members-only Instagram feed where we answer your questions and let you in behind the scenes and do deep dives on various topics. We also have the uh, Mo News Premium Podcast where you'll learn more about how close to reality Carrie Matheson is to the CIA and all of the above. You can find that all over at mo.news slash premium. Again, $7 a month or 70 a year. Join the party. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.